0: Hi there, welcome to Beyond the Benchmark. My name is Mo Zafzal and I'm the Chief Investment Officer of EFG. This is an edited version of our internal podcast, more than just a typical market analysis podcast. In each episode, we go Beyond the Benchmark, delving into current topics, affecting markets, economies, and investor psychology. Each episode I'll be discussing global trends with guests and experts from within EFG and further afield. If you'd like to get in touch, please email me on beyond at FGAM.com. Repeat that, beyond at FGAM.com. This week we have a US election special and we have that with our friend, Dan Clifton from Strategius. Uh, so many of you who've listened to our podcast before will know Dan. Dan, I think is one of the preeminent analysts around on the US election and US politics in, in general. Quick summary, we're coming up to the election. What are the, the, um, the key voting trends as we come up to the election? Who Who uh, is going to win it? What is the sequencing that we need to watch out for? who, if they win, are going to be the policies and how will financial markets react. So that's what we will be discussing. So let's call Dan Clifton. Welcome, Dan. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here today. So um, maybe I'll go straight into it. Um, what, What is the current status in terms of polling? What is the, um, uh, the, the current status in terms of you know, early voting, which is a huge yep. phenomenon this time around? So, uh, uh, fill us in.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I like to start just on the kind of background of where we are. We're, we're having four transformational events happening right now, with a recession, a pandemic, mass protest, and the election all happening. And I think that increases the range of outcomes going into this cycle. Unlike 2016, where we were talking about, you know, Trump having a better chance or who's gonna win, I think the issues here are how close is the race and are we gonna have a contested election? Because those four super transformational events have changed the way Americans are voting, they're gonna change the way the reports are resulted, and it may change the timing of when we actually know the winner. I call it the big pinata. The longer the pinata hangs out there where we don't know the result, both parties can keep hitting that pinata until we actually get the result that uh, that they want through uh, through uh, through through lawsuits and legal advice. But let me just say that number one, there's a bit of a celebration here in light of all this because we think that voting is going to go to about 160 million Americans this election cycle. That's up from 135 million. This is a tremendous victory as we're getting close to all Americans that are of the voting age. Uh, uh, using their right in democracy to be able to cast their decision. And so regardless of the result, we're seeing a broad enthusiasm on both sides to be able to vote long lines as we go into the vote by mail. And so where does the election stay here in the final days of the election? Uh, Joe Biden has a very large national lead in the polls. It's about 8%. That's very similar to the lead that Barack Obama had over John McCain in 2008, during the financial crisis. But as you know, this election is really about a couple of core swing states, not the national election. And our belief is that if Trump wins, he can actually lose the popular vote by about four or possibly 5% and still win the Electoral College of States needed to win the election itself. Those six states that we're following the most closely are Florida, North Carolina, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. If you look at the current polling right now, Donald Trump is losing in all six of those key swing states. I would argue that polling hasn't exactly been the best and most accurate type of forecasting tool that we have. And my sense is that Trump is closing the gap in both North Carolina and Florida. In fact, the betting odds, which are different than the polls where people make bets on outcomes have flipped. Uh, North Carolina and Florida to Donald Trump this week. And I think that's important regardless of whether you, it's less important about whether Donald Trump's going to win the election, but it's more important in determining two different factors. Number one, Florida and North Carolina have very good report results. So we're going to be able to know on election night exactly how many people voted by mail and who they voted for. And so if Trump winds up winning those states, we'll go up to the midwest that will punch his ticket up to the midwest with pennsylvania michigan and wisconsin those states have terrible laws where they don't even allow the mail-in votes to start to be counted until after the polls close and so we may not know the winner of those results for days and much of the trump voters are going to vote a machine so we'll know those results immediately and it will be six or seven days of counting the mail-in votes which should benefit the democrats so you'll see Trump's big lead on election night in those states coming down. There will be you know talk about uh, you know, the election being stolen. So if Trump wins Florida, North Carolina, and Ohio, uh, it means that the election is a little bit closer than the consensus believes it is. And it means that it's gonna be a couple of days before we know the election result. And it obviously will bring legal challenges with it if we get into that environment. Conversely, if Trump loses Florida, you know, I often joke with my wife. I may actually have dinner with her that night. You know, and I haven't seen her in a couple of weeks, but but you know, we're really still going to be at work because we got a lot of different Senate races. But you'll know if Trump uh, uh, doesn't win Florida, it's almost impossible for him to get 270 electoral votes.
0: Right. So um, on the, so on election night, it's really we're looking for Florida. North Carolina and Ohio is the, is the first phase. If you lose any one of those, um, it's, uh, it then becomes a lot harder for him, uh, in the remaining three, that, uh, a slightly more complicated in terms of, uh, knowing the results straight away.
1: That's correct. Um, you know, that's number one. Number two is, uh, if Trump is actually winning those states, it's probably going to tell you that the Senate races are going to be closer as we get those results. Uh, the Democrats will have a hard time taking over the Senate if they don't win the North Carolina Senate race. So North Carolina has two reasons there. And what you've seen over the last two and a half weeks is the odds of a Democratic sweep have actually come down in the betting markets, which is actually kind of interesting, even though some of the polling has held up there. So you've got multiple factors that you're watching. I, I got to tell you, there's a big debate here over you know when we're going to do another stimulus package and how big that package will be. The equity market right now really likes the concept of a democratic sweep because you'll get a, a very simple and easy and large package to get done. And so as those odds have come down, it's created some nervousness in the equity market about what the prospect will be for fiscal stimulus. So these issues are just larger than who wins and what we're gonna do in 2021. They're actually impacting how we're dealing with COVID, both from a health purpose and uh, from, uh, from, a, from an economic perspective as well so
0: then you have um, these um, market indicators that you look yep. at to uh, to try and sort of help you um, you know the market is always deficient right and yep. helps you help you decide uh, is it, tell us about the uh, market
1: indicators and what they're telling you about the result at the moment I'm so glad you asked that question so um, obviously the polling is not uh, a- exactly accurate even though there's been changes made so we've been using these non-traditional indicators. The first, which is my favorite, is the S&P 500. The S&P 500 has predicted every presidential election winner since 1984, and 87% of the presidential election winners since 1928. So it's not perfect, but if you give me 100 years of data and it's 87% accurate, I'll take it. And the formula here is very simple. If stocks are higher in the three months leading up to the election, then the incumbent party has generally won. And if stocks are lower in that three month period, the opposition party has won. This has worked every election since 1984. And as you know, the S&P has basically been positive since we started the clock on August 3rd. That would mark the three-month period. Yesterday, uh, that, I'm sorry, on Wednesday, that crossed over below the par level and is now down since August 3rd, a sign that the opposition party will win if it stays there. We also used the dollar, The dollar has predicted seven of the last eight elections, exactly from that same date, that three-month period. uh, If the dollar is higher, the uh, uh, incumbent party usually loses. And if the dollar is lower, the incumbent party usually wins. Uh, We have less data. We don't have 100 years of data on the dollar. But for the years that we do, uh, it's been pretty robust. And at the same day, on Wednesday, that the S&P went negative, the dollar went higher, another sign of... Joe Biden winning the presidency. So it's been amazing. It usually doesn't work like this where they wait all the way till the end of the election. Usually you start seeing that right at the beginning of September, but both of those indicators had flipped. We also use a third indicator, which we used to great effect in 2016. Those are called our Trump and our Biden portfolios. These are listed, these are portfolios of stocks levered to the agenda of each presidential candidate. In 2016, Our Trump portfolio outperformed our Clinton portfolio almost every day in the final three months of the election, a sign that Donald Trump had a better chance of beating Hillary Clinton than the consensus was giving him credit for. Today, our Joe Biden portfolio is implying a 70% probability of Biden winning the presidency. So when you pull those three non-traditional polling indicators, which have been fairly robust in the past, Uh, they're indicating that Biden will win the presidency as of right now. That could all change over the next couple of days. But I think an important signal from the S&P and the dollar is that they're suggesting that the race is going to be closer than the current polling suggests. I mean, they're right near their par levels. And I think that's that's an important data point because it gets back to the idea of Trump winning some states that aren't expected and the markets having to deal with some sort of contested election uh, post-election. Another issue that I would say is that we have an economic indicator that stocks the dollar, GDP, and the president's approval rating. And that has fallen precipitously over the last week or so. So all of our indicators uh, have really kind of pointed to Biden over the last couple of days as we've gotten deeper into the election. Yeah.
0: Um, So, um, and and I recall, you know, uh, back in 16 where some of the uh, the prison stocks which i always call yep. the carry the coal mine they were they're very indi- good indicators of a of that's a trump right. victory. and i was just looking at them recently and they they're actually performing really badly so oh, they're terrible yeah they're <laughs> terrible e-
1: even on good trump polling days they're bad right yeah. so you know i'm like what's going on here but but maz that's an important data point these are small cap reits they're not large cap names so nobody really looks at them but Senator Harris, who's the vice presidential nominee with Joe Biden, she said right in the debate, she's like, we're gonna end their business model. Like we're gonna end them immediately. And so it's a very binary outcome for them. And that's why we look at them so closely during the election because the mar- there is a wisdom in financial markets that transcends the polling and the pundits and those indicators have really been bearish on Trump winning re-election. I would say the same thing for defense stocks as well. Uh, which have also priced in a lot of negativity. No, oh, absolutely. For Trump.
0: So um, obviously, we'll we'll find out in uh, in due course. Um, uh, just before we move on to some of the sector uh, implications, yep. um, I think um, uh, what are your thoughts about, which is a question we get quite a lot, is you know, uh, a big long delay in terms of the election result and, you know, what markets may do. Have you looked at,
1: looked at that in the past? And indeed, you know, what is the what is the conclusion? Yeah, so we, we have spent a lot of time on this. And And by the way, if we don't get a contested election and Trump loses Florida early in the night, I will not regret the level of work that we've done on a contested election. It's been an amazing history lesson. And if 2016 with Brexit and Trump taught us anything is that we need to be prepared for all scenarios. So if they do happen, we know. And so we've spent some time on this and again, we're in this kind of super transformational events right now, it leads to a wider range of outcomes. And, um, let me just first say that if, if Trump, uh, starts to see his lead being dissipated, uh, as we go through the count in the Midwest, I do anticipate he will go to court. He will try and get the Supreme Court ruling. In most of these states, ballots can come in days after the election, uh, and that's just not the way that we've done it traditionally. And in fact, you see that happening in about 17 states right now. And so Trump will try and stop that vote. And uh, and so that's where you'll see lawsuits. Let me give you another example where you could see lawsuits on the Democratic side. Trump won the state of Wisconsin by 22,000 votes. It's a very small number the number of ballots that they threw out in Wisconsin in the primary this spring was 23,000. The reason why these ballots get thrown out is that when people vote by mail, they make mistakes. They don't sign the document. They don't include the secret ballot. So we're anticipating a lot of mistakes, a lot of ballots being thrown out. You could be talking about 50, 60,000 in the state of Wisconsin alone, And guess who's voting more? The Democrats are voting more by mail than the Republicans, which means that the Democrats are going to lose one or two points in all these states. There are Democratic pollsters that we speak to who are literally shaving off one or two points off Biden's poll numbers to try and account for that error rate. And so what I anticipate is that the Democrats are now going to go to court and try and get as many of those ballots reinstated as possible to minimize the loss, because Trump could basically win those states by an amount smaller than the number of ballots that get thrown out. The states have until December 14th, or really December 12th, to resolve this. And then we seat the electors on December 14th in state capitals around the country, and they elect the next president. If you look at Bush versus Gore in 2000, uh, when uh, when we, we had that problem, uh, the Supreme Court ruled on December 12th so that the electors could meet on December 14th and be able to put George W. Bush in the presidency. Uh, From a financial market perspective, 2000 is the most robust example just because it's recent. Uh, I, you know, I worked for a governor at that time and I wrote that governor memos every week on the economy. I I got the chance to go back and be able to read those memos that I was writing in the summer of 2000 before the election. And it was clear that the economy was decelerating very quickly uh, through the combination of higher interest rates, higher oil prices, we had already peaked in the stock market March of 2000. And then we had this unexpected election, contested election and it really further hurt consumer and business confidence and probably accelerated the recession. The S&P fell down by about 8% uh, from peak to trough and then it went up a little bit into the election. So it was down 5% the whole time. What I would argue is that there's some differences here this time around. The first difference is I don't think that we're going into a recession. The second difference uh, is that this is much more expected than unexpected. And so what we've been doing is really incorporating volatility into our election portfolios. And they just had a big our election portfolios just had a big day yesterday, you know, or two days ago, because uh, because of all this kind of election volatility and people are buying protection, so that minimizes your downside risk if you get some sort of contested election. And third is that the Federal Reserve cut interest rates by 50 basis points in an emergency meeting two weeks after Bush first score. I don't believe that this Federal Reserve will actually sit on their hands and say, oh, okay, all that great work we've done since March to get the economy back to where we are, we're just gonna let this play out while business and household confidence go down. I think the Fed's gonna be engaged, And the most contrarian thing that I could probably tell you today is that if you do get a contested election, it may actually help Congress on a bipartisan basis do at least some emergency fiscal policy stimulus while we await the results. So I think I feel a little bit better just because we're more aware of the contested election. It will be a political nightmare. It just may be less of a financial and economic nightmare, given that we learn some lessons from 2000 and really have the game plan teed up in case something does happen.
0: So as a key point, I think um, if I just go by the number of uh, questions that we get on this particular topic uh, every day or certainly every day since the last three months, you know, I think people are just well aware of it. It's built into the yep. psyche. And certainly when you look at the uh, the VIX, um, you can see that a lot of fear is already built into that, That's which correct. is, uh, I guess, the point that you're alluding to. That's correct. Um, so just last question on this particular election. Um, um, in terms of the turnout and the early turnout, who does that favor?
1: Well, one, I think a uh, heavy turnout on net favors Joe Biden, uh, but it's not as exclusive as people would think. The Trump voters are very energized and he will get more people to vote for him this time than he did last time. But what I see happening here is um, really hard to discern. Let's talk about Texas. Texas is now in play for the presidential race. It's never in play for a presidential race. And by the way, I still think Trump's gonna win, he's gonna win by three points, but it shouldn't be this close. If you look at the early voting, you have the five largest counties of early voting in Texas are five counties that voted for Donald Trump by 20% or more in 2016. So if you look at that just on the surface, you're like, oh, those are Trump voters coming in. You look at the five bottom counties, and there four of those five were big counties for Hillary Clinton. So you're like, oh, maybe Biden's not getting his supporters out. But in fact, if you dig deeper into those numbers, you actually see that those are the very changing demographic numbers where you see the high turnout. Those are uh, upper upper income, highly educated people moving into Dallas and Austin suburbs of Texas – They had better turnout in 2018 for the Democrats. And I really think that it's showing you that there's an anti-Trump vote that is a bit more mobilized than people are anticipating. In Florida, though, what caught our eye earlier this week was that the Republicans had more early voting in Miami-Dade County than the Democrats did. Miami-Dade County will vote for Biden by 150 to 200,000 vote margin. Like, it's not a question of if. And so when I worked on campaigns, and I worked in Miami-Dade on a presidential campaign uh, a long time ago, uh, before I uh, left politics, is that what the parties are doing is they're trying to find the voters that are hardest to get out at the earliest part of the process. And they are mobilizing those voters and getting them off their list knowing that as you get closer to the election, it's easier to trigger the people who vote in four out of four elections. And so that's why I think it's hard to discern from the early voter turnout who is actually really benefiting here more than just what we know from our gut. And I'll just give you one example. There's a county that we're watching very closely in Florida called Sumter County. In Sumter County is a place called The Villages. This is 100,000 senior citizens that live in these planned communities. It is one of the most awesome places in America. I go every election cycle. I have not been able to go because of the pandemic. And that that place voted, or that county voted, 67% for Donald Trump in 2016. Trump did great with seniors. Well, who's most affected by COVID? Senior citizens. And as COVID really started to increase, we started to see Trump lose support with that demographic. As those results come in on election night, we're gonna be looking at Sumter County. So we said, oh, well, maybe we'll go into the early vote and see how it's voting. And we could see Democrats and we could see Republicans, but there's also a group called Independents who are not affiliated with either party. We have no idea how they voted. We just know that they're voting. And in 2016, they voted for Trump. We don't know if they're not voting for Trump this time around. And so I think a lot of the analysis that's being done on the early voting, while useful, is not very predictive. And you don't see a lot of it in our research. But I gotta tell you, we we look at it, we're obsessed with it, we do a lot of work on it, but I'm not sure there's really any big conclusions. And I'm sort of like, let's let it happen. Let's let's just let the election happen, let people vote, and we'll take it from there.
0: Well, there's gonna be a lot of them. Learnings coming from from uh, from this particular election, I think it's something that everybody. I think uh, the crazy thing is globally, everybody's interested. So yeah. you know, yeah. it, it's uh, it really is a um, you know, g- well, given the polarization and given the characters involved, it is just uh, it is actually quite phenomenal. Right. Um, so let's talk about the um, uh, obviously. I think it's a little bit more easier to know. the the winners and losers in a Trump, um, um, you know, it's deregulation, it's the energy complex, et cetera, et cetera. Are are there any, you know, in a Trump win, are there any things that he will change if he was to be reelected that he, you know, he didn't do in the first, in the first round. Now, I guess he's going to be a lot more neutered than he was in the first time round, uh, in terms of the policies, but, uh, um, anything that you think he would do if, it, if he came to power?
1: I think it's important for people to understand that if Trump wins re-election, he will have one re-election after the Mueller investigation, after being impeached, after having a recession, after having a pandemic and having his own COVID diagnosis. I got to tell you, yesterday I wrote a note about you know the race tightening up, and I got so much uh, angry mail from clients who just can't fathom the idea of him winning again. So you can imagine what the environment will be like if he unexpectedly wins and he's gonna feel very emboldened. What I would argue is that you'll see a fairly large stimulus proposal from Trump where he'll say, okay, we're gonna do a stimulus, but I want a two income tax rate system with a very high standard deduction, something you wouldn't have gotten pre-pandemic. I also think he's gonna try and lower capital gains and dividend tax rates as part of that deal. I'm not sure he'll get that, but I think he'll at least make an effort to, to try and do that. Second is the reason why he has not been able to get infrastructure is because Mitch McConnell, who runs the Senate, has not given him the money. Those days are over. Trump wins, he's gonna railroad the Senate, and the Senate Republicans have a really tough map in 2022, so there's gonna be a lot of Republican senators looking to do things from the center and try and get some sort of deal-making going on, and infrastructure is a very good way to do it. If if you really wanna be contrarian, I actually think that Trump's gonna go for a very moderate immigration bill, one that focuses on taking 11 million undocumented Americans and giving them a pathway to citizenship in exchange for a hard border security on top of that. Um, you know, that's not the consensus view, that's just my gut, that that's where he would go. Very positive for the economy because you're that's a supply-side labor reform. You would have 11 million people paying taxes that aren't today, you'd have 11 million people Uh, you know, filing for credit cards and being just being able to easier work. So uh, I actually think that would be good. He may have to wait a little bit because the unemployment rate is at seven. It's tough to do, but that's an added consensus view. And then the Supreme Court will start hearings on the health care bill on the Obamacare uh, on November 10th. Uh, So a week after the election, they'll expect it to rule uh, in June of 2021. And so whether Trump wants it or not, the Supreme Court is likely going to put the health care issue on the table for him in mid-2021. I think that I may have forgot the biggest thing, and that is crushing the virus. Uh, if you're a policymaker here in Washington, you wake up every day and your number one goal is to crush the coronavirus. Some people are more vocal about it. Some people are more empathetic about it. But Trump's strategy has been therapeutics over prevention, right? And so he, uh, the idea that the the world could have three or four vaccines in one year uh, is just a remarkable achievement for society overall. And it will be about the implementation of that vaccine and being able to get more doses of the um, Regeneron antibodies, which we only have 50,000 of those right now. The the, the vaccine distribution is extraordinarily complex. If you're in the Pfizer drug, it's gotta be kept at like negative 70 degrees. So that is gonna consume a big part of the focus and it will produce massive dividends for society once we get it. Finally, and I think this is a good place to really have a discussion on the difference between Trump and Biden. This election is solely about international affairs, in my opinion. The rest of the stuff is interesting but it's about international affairs. And if Trump wins, he's gonna go double down on China because he sees China as a national security risk to America and the Western world. And he doesn't care about the economics. Donald Trump doesn't care about the 2022 midterm election and what the economy is doing. He is trying to realign global affairs to the way that he sees them fit, okay? So in that environment, more pressure on Iran, more pressure on China, and uh, you know uh, probably more pressure on Europe. Think about Biden. Different view. You said that you saw interest from around the world about this election. Let me tell you what's so awesome about this election. You can literally watch country stock markets trade on who's going to win this election. I mean, it's moving entire country stock markets. And so my favorite is that we take Vietnam and we run it relative to China. And as Trump's odds go up, Vietnam outperforms. And as Biden's odds go up, China outperforms. That's the supply chain, that trade right there. And they're saying that Trump will decouple from China faster than than Biden will. And I think that makes sense. But you can literally take emerging markets relative to the S&P, and Germany relative to the S and put Joe Biden's odds of winning the presidency in the betting markets on top. And it's the same chart. And that is the America first trade coming out of the market. US stocks have outperformed non US stocks by 50% since January 1st, 2018. My sense is a Biden presidency brings you a weaker dollar over the long term. Weaker dollars should help those. Uh, foreign uh, uh, non-US stock markets and start to close the gap of what has been a massive US outperformance over the last few years. And so I anticipate that a Biden win would remove the tariffs on Europe almost immediately, re-enter the Paris Climate Change Agreement, and then try and build some sort of allied force to put diplomatic pressure on China, not economic pressure the way Trump did.
0: It's, it's very interesting because um, um, some of my colleagues, certainly from who, who manage China, look after China investments, um, and they're obviously very well connected uh, in terms of the Chinese psyche locally. And uh, one of the comments that, that does come up is is they view as Trump being quite positive or has been positive for China because it's been a bit of a wake-up call that they need to accelerate their improvement. Um, so uh, it's actually quite an interesting way to, to look at the other side of the, uh, of the equation.
1: Yeah, and, and listen, there's a difference between the diplomatic and the national security issues and the economic issues, but the, nobody wins in a trade war uh, economically. And the U.S. suffered, but the U.S. suffered less than China did from it. And so what do I see? Just looking at U.S. stocks, I see industrials and materials, which never do well around a democratic win have just been rallying as Biden's odds have gone up because they have a lot of international revenue exposure. And so, you know, those are the stocks that were most impacted by the trade war. And if that's happening in the U S that's also happening with Chinese stocks that were impacted by the trade war as well. It's fascinating. And to me, that is really the most important takeaway economically and from financial markets through the 2020 election. It's pretty binary.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, quite interesting. I'm just looking here that the Chinese stocks are up uh, in dollar terms, up 5.2% this month versus S&B down 2%. Um, Although Europe is down 7 I suspect that's more virus- That's virus,
1: yeah. Once you get through the virus, though. Uh
0: Um, Okay, so let's let's talk about sort of Biden. Obviously, the big thing um, for us has been this fear that uh, they'll break up the tech companies obviously yeah. that was Sanders and warren's sort of early uh, early gambits at the beginning of the year um, um tell us about kind of big cap tech and who who's in the crosshairs is it just alphabet and facebook or is it the others as well
1: yeah so I, I again i you know i look at the relative difference uh tech is interesting because they have a target on their back from trump and they have a target on their back from democrats and, you know, how do you kind of split that out? And the way I would say is that the market is reading that Trump is a bigger target for tech than, or a bigger threat to tech than a Biden presidency is, which is actually quite interesting. And if you notice, the attorney general earlier this month filed antitrust charges against Google and they're going for the breakup. Uh, it very much looks like the Microsoft case. It was actually more substantive than I had anticipated it was going to be. And if Trump wins, I think you'll see a greater pursuing of that. Now that we have some clients who think the breakup value of Google is, you know, better than as a standalone company. I'm not an expert on stock. So you know you can handicap that each way. But when you go into the democratic circles, you notice there's a massive generation split between the party officials, the leaders. The older Uh, people who served in the Obama administration in high-ranking antitrust suits uh, and and positions, you know, they don't really have any appetite to change antitrust law or take these companies on and think that most of their complaint is about big, but not really about monopoly. Below that, and we have like a whole dossier of everybody who's going to staff the Biden administration, and I'm like, well, I've never heard of this person. You know, and I look and, you know, oh, Oh, that, that person worked on Bernie Sanders campaign and that person worked for Elizabeth Warren. Right. So you can see the younger progressives and the more aggressive antitrust people, they will start filling slots. They won't be the director, but they may be the deputy or assistant director. And they're going to be in the room when decisions are going to be made. And so the house just put out a four house Democrats just put out a 445 page report saying all of them are bad for different reasons meaning all the tech platforms, Amazon, Facebook, Google. And um, what is the compromise that I see emerging here? Well, one, I think it's gonna be very hard to pass legislation against them, even if you break the filibuster and they only have 51 votes. Two, I don't think you really have an antitrust case against them, because the companies will go to court and fight that. And so I see a third alternative emerging, very similar to what you did in the UK with these companies, and you create a government agency that oversees the tech companies that is less to do with antitrust and more to do with just kind of regulating them. I think Australia has done something similar to this. In the US, we have something called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which does this over consumer finance uh, companies. I'm not a big fan of this idea uh, because it just brings in more government regulation. I can tell you that uh the uh companies would probably be pleased with this as the scenario because it locks their business in place and it creates a barrier to entry and it locks in their market share even though they're becoming more like a regulated utility right and so i think it impedes innovation but for the companies themselves it's actually going to take away a lot of the regulatory risk i'll just give you another example let's just say this is 12 years ago we're four days away from President Obama becoming the president of the United States. And I was in your office, you know, about a month before that, while the TARP and everything was going on. And it, I didn't say it, but it was in our portfolio, just there were other factors going on. Buy tobacco on an Obama win. That seems crazy, right? Or buy managed care on an on a Obama win. It seems crazy. But Altria... Went to Obama and said, "We want the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, to regulate our business." And by June of 2009, six months into the Obama administration, we had FDA regulation of tobacco. Look at the stock from June of 2009 through 2015. It's what I mean. It just went gangbusters because it allowed them to lock in their market share, block out competition. That's the model I think Facebook and Google are going for with this regul- regulated agency uh, idea. So that that to me seems the way it's gonna wind up playing out. And by the way, I also feel that pharma is gonna walk out with a compromise as well, but it will be multiple contraction while we go through those debates and the House will be much more aggressive in going after these companies than the Senate will itself. But uh, ultimately, um you know i think you'll get some sort of resolution on this that are not going to decimate entire industries like we've seen in the past
0: yeah and it's a very interesting point that you make um when you do set up these uh regulating ag- agencies they actually protect the monopoly um yes. for, for for a lot, lot longer than uh, than it is and i have to say i do agree it, that probably does stifle innovation. It actually does. uh, It doesn't help it. Um, But uh, we, we shall see Uh, Those shares will will probably do all right in that environment. We'll watch that very carefully. Any other sectors, obviously the most obvious one is uh, clean energy. Everybody's talking about uh, any sort of other
1: than the obvious, anything that's a little bit more nuanced? Yeah. So I I would just say about clean energy, it's the one sector that's really priced in at this point. Right. So, you know, I I, I mean, now the companies are going to have to execute. But the reason why they priced in so aggressively is that if the Democrats sweep, this will be the first climate change election in US history. A lot of talk about climate change, but this will be real action. Climate spending, the regulations on the fossil fuels, um, it really is a game changer for them, the way Obamacare was for healthcare in 2009. Uh, infrastructure, I think, is a big winner here. It's just starting its turn. I know that seems very consensus, but people got burned on it so many times they're not investing in it. So I think there's opportunity there. Uh, that's uh, semiconductors on the trade issue that we talked about before uh, in the technology space. Uh, I would also argue that you know, companies tied to state government spending are gonna do really well. There's concern about state fiscal operations. Uh, I did an interview today with a local press outlet where I said, listen, this is a grand slam for state governments because they're just gonna flood the system with money. And then uh, today we wrote a really big report on healthcare and everything that's going on in healthcare. If you're somehow linked to COVID uh, rescue efforts in any way, uh, this is going to be a massive payday and a democratic sweep for you. So life science and tools within healthcare, Medicaid HMOs, hospitals, providers, there are plenty of opportunities out there right now, uh, regardless of whatever the election outcome is. Uh, And then obviously you just got to worry about where there's going to be regulation on some of these industries on the other side of that. And you know, we generally know what those industries are going to be: financials, energy, um, uh, defense, uh, and so. Um, you know, I, I just think that you know people were reluctant to uh, invest in healthcare because they're worried about Joe Biden's public option plan, or they're worried about his drug pricing plan. And uh, and yet, you know, there are other places within healthcare that you can invest until you get better clarity on those. associate
0: uh, I Associated question to that. Um, biden more likely to do a fuller lockdown than uh than trump clearly or you don't think that's going to
1: happen you know let me be controversial here can i be controversial here oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> i may be i may be i may be wrong on this but obviously the market thinks biden's more likely to win today than a couple days ago and he's more likely to do lockdowns given what's going on in the midwest with covid cases right now I got to tell you, I think once Biden, if he wins, you're going to see new confidence building into the system. For example, I have the governor of New York saying that he will not take a vaccine because Trump is president. That's like absurd. Okay. If they knew what the companies were doing and they knew the health regulators are doing, I think some of this is just bad politics. We can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do this. Look at the school openings in the U S. A lot of them are set to November 4th and November 5th. The election is November 3rd. Can you be any more transparent about it? Okay. So I think on one side, you're going to see people saying, oh, the kids really aren't at risk, you know, because they have high survival rates and we can open the schools. It may actually lead to a greater reopening than a stricter closures uh, moving forward. And part of that will be justified as, well, Biden knows how to run the government. There is zero difference between the Biden COVID plan and the Trump plan other than possibly a mandatory mask requirement from Biden, which really is that health professionals are doing what they need to do. And that's not really going to change whoever wins the presidency. So it's more of a confidence factor overall. And I'm sorry to be brash about it. But the New York Times just wrote this article two weeks ago about how things aren't that bad on COVID. This guy's been screaming for seven, eight months about how bad it is every day. And by the way, it is bad. 200,000 Americans died. So I don't want you to think I underplay it. But it was like, bad, 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 bad. Oh, Trump's going to lose. Not so bad. There's hope. Okay. We, we can see where that is going. All well, right. Okay. So um, um,
0: you've been very comprehensive. I think we covered nearly everything that uh, that, that, that that I had on my uh, on my um, uh, you know task list for you to ask or for me to ask you. Um, anything out there that you think is something that nobody's talking about that um, you know you're, you're you're watching very carefully.
1: Yeah, I I would say two things. Number one is that COVID's been a dark period for world history. There's been a lot of pain that's been caused by this. Over the course of the next few months, we'll begin to see the silver linings that are emerging from this, where the entire medical world sat down and said, how do we solve this problem? The technologies that are being used in therapeutics could be applied for cancer and gene therapy and make me very bullish on uh, innovation and, and, and research and development and, and the benefits that that can produce for global growth and world productivity and better health. Uh, the second is that um, be very careful on uh, global relations. The U.S. population, both Democrat and Republican, agree on very little. They do agree that China is a risk. And regardless of whether Biden or Trump wins, you actually see – the apparatus of the government moving to a more um, hostile position towards China. And I would argue China's doing the same thing to the US as well. And we haven't really had those types of standoffs uh, since the Berlin Wall came down in 1989. So a lot of this is relatively new. And uh, when you pull all that together, uh, it suggests that you know just international relations, Biden winning isn't going to be the silver bullet that makes the world a better place. We're still going to have significant geopolitical uh, issues that are out there, and you know, I just give it to you: this, the U.S., regardless of whether you're Trump or Biden, do not like this pipeline being built from Russia into Europe right now. That fight is not going to change just because we change the president. So, you know, one is really optimistic; one is just saying, you know, prepare for more tension, regardless. But ultimately, I think the world is positioning itself for a much better place. And there's a lot that we've learned from COVID. One of those is being able to work together. And, uh, and I still remain very optimistic on the U S and the world itself. Um, last question is, you know, when are you finally going to (laughs) sleep? We're all good, but you know, Maz, this is a, a great, like little data point is that, you know, fiscal policy are like the main issue that we do here. And then you get a Supreme Court pick every once in a while. And then you get a presidential election once every four years and a very contested Senate race is going on. We had all four of them happening in the month of October. I have I have been smiling every minute of every day that I have been awake in the month of October. I'm worried about what happens when all this goes away. You know? <laughs> what am I going to do after that? Because this was really everything that we have worked on our entire lives came full blown here in the month of October. So we're having a great time, and uh, and uh, you know some of the times we don't want to work on this stuff. It just means that we're in trouble. Like oh, we need we need more fiscal stimulus because the economy is slowing down. Right, we'd rather get back to a better area where, where the private sector can do this. But overall, we're having the time of our lives.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, that I'm absolutely sure of, I think, uh, certainly everybody's interesting and, and having the, the political landscape, uh, landscape we're in, I think there is just so much more interest in, in uh, in your, in your yes, art yes. and your craft. So, uh, again, thank you very much for, uh, Dan, for joining us. Uh, Great. and, uh, we look forward to having you again, again soon. And obviously we'll, uh, we'll watch with bated breath with, in terms of the results and. the, uh, Implications. I suspect everything's
1: going to move very fast next week. That's right. Thank you again, and I, I can't wait to be back. Talk right. to you soon. Yeah. Thanks a lot.
0: So thank you everybody for uh, for listening to uh, this U.S. election special. At DFU, we'll no doubt be in touch uh, with you on uh, the election outcome, what our thoughts are. Thank you again, and we'll speak to you next week.